this year, uh, my first year after 22 of not being a CEO, which is great. And uh, I'm working uh, mostly with my Common Spirit colleagues on national issues around quality, safety, patient experience, and staying very connected as a senior advisor to Virginia Mason Franciscan Health. Thanks for being here, Dr. Kaplan. Thank and you. Suresh? Suresh Sacren. Um I'm the guy sitting next to Gary Kaplan. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I guess I'm the little guy at the table. Um, I work for a, a health system in uh, the Bay Area called uh, University of California, San Francisco. And I'm the, the president and CEO of UCSF Health. Um, we um, are four hospitals and a whole lot of clinics, and we um, have about uh, 40,000 associates in, in the Bay Area. Hi. Uh, it's there. Hi, my name is Sanjay Shetty. Uh, thanks so much for having me this afternoon. Uh, I am president of Stewart Healthcare System. Stewart is a privately held, physician-led. Uh, healthcare system with operations in nine states. We have 39 acute care hospitals, as well as a large medical group, just over 2,000 providers, and a, an ACO uh, that operates in all of those geographies. Um, and uh, look forward to the conversation today. I know labor is one, two, and three on my list of concerns, so. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Jeffrey Roach. I serve as the Senior Vice President of Workforce Development at Dignity Health Global Education. Uh, some of you may know who we are, uh, but for those that do not, uh, we are actually uh, and really at the principal um, and really at the uh, intersection of both healthcare and education. And we, our largest investor is actually Common Spirit Health, uh, but we work with health systems across the globe, uh, both here in the United States as well as in multiple countries around really education, leadership development, upskilling, reskilling, as well as retention. And so happy to be here for this conversation with this esteemed panel. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. So we, we are going to assume that you and the audience and our attendees are aware of the workforce challenges hospitals are facing, and we're going to just launch into what our panelists are seeing firsthand, their ideas for what they need to do in their organizations to remain competitive. Let's start by talking about what our panelists see as hospitals' greatest competitive advantage right now when it comes to employee recruitment and retention. And you know we're going to go to the flip side in a little bit. So, Dr. Kiappel, let's turn to you. What do you see as something hospitals possess to offer candidates and, and workers that other organizations might not? So I think that hospitals have some built-in advantages. Uh, I think the challenge is actually um, operationalizing those advantages. Uh, for me, it starts with recruiting to an established culture, to an established uh, workforce. Uh, hopefully one that has a value proposition, why work for uh, X medical center? I think that's very different than uh, workers who are jumping around in the so-called gig economy and having that stability is really important. Being part of something bigger than themselves, uh, being part of an organization that has a vision, that has a mission. And uh, I think with that comes hopefully teamwork, the ability to influence your work, uh, to, and I know this is very true at Virginia Mason, empowering our frontline team members uh, to work on their work and come to work every day to do their job and improve their job. Uh, these are things that I think can be really attractive. Also the diversity of opportunity and potentially, and maybe we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, uh, being on a career path 
not just coming in for a six or 12 week period of time, but being on a path in an organization that is willing to invest in your career development. I think all of these things are important, uh, both real or potential advantages for a hospital system. Let's check in. I, th I think one keyword that stood out to me there is the, the gig economy piece. If you have a culture and it's longstanding, there's tradition to point to, there's a, a reputation built in, that is something that can always be competitive uh, for drawing in workers and talent. But then you've also seen over the past couple of years a real shift where a lot of people are approaching work at, under agencies as kind of a gig economy. Um, Dr. Shadi, what, what do you think of this? How do you approach this kind of splintering off where some people are approaching healthcare as like a gig worker? Yeah, I mean, it certainly has been a challenge for us. I, I just emphasize what Dr. Kaplan said. Uh, in the time of the pandemic, I would argue probably a lot of us in the room took our eye off the ball when it came to culture. It was just a matter of survival, right? We needed resources. We needed to care for this surge of patients. Uh, and, and we put our workers through a lot, uh, and I think they, they really delivered uh, in so many ways. But that idea of taking that moment to go back to culture and go back to uh, the, the core mission of the facility, of what we're trying to accomplish, and putting that back at the forefront, I think, is absolutely crucial because it was just, it has been and will continue to be a huge temptation for so many of the members of our team to say, I can go across the country and make X, but if I stay here, I'll make Y. And, and there's that opportunity, the Delta, to make just a little bit more somewhere else. I worry that we're never gonna be able to compete if it was just on dollars, right? That is, a, that is a race that none of us wanna be in, and frankly, a lot of us wouldn't survive. Um, so our focus has been much more on what is it that we do different? What is it that we do better at our facility uh, that will attract the, work, attract the team uh, and keep them on board? And so we've extended that concept of culture to the idea of family, of community, of what is it you're doing every day uh, within the four walls of the hospital that is really special. Uh, and being part of that team, and again, agree with everything that came to what do you get in, a, in an established environment that you wouldn't get from the gig economy, like career development, like continued growth, like investment uh, in progression and uh, leadership or in expertise that you might not get if you're in and out of a community on uh, very short stints. Jeffrey, let me check in with you here, talking about the biggest advantages that hospitals still have, or maybe there's new ones that are coming to light. What, what are you seeing? What do you find to be the biggest game changers? Yeah, so I think uh, particularly, you know, hospitals and health systems really have the advantage of being an anchor partner within the communities that they serve. But I will also give the caveat that as healthcare has become larger, uh, we have to be careful that we don't forget that importance of being an anchor institution. Uh, the fact that, you know, the fact of it is, is that a hospital is a community in itself. Uh, and when people see their community, they see, you know, healing, but they also see responsibility and the fact that that hospital and healthcare system has a responsibility to take care of that community. Mm -hmm. And so it's an advantage, but it's also a challenge because I think as healthcare has grown so much larger, sometimes decisions are made at a national level or at a more regional level, not taking into account that special aspect of that community. The other thing I think is important is that uh, you know, hospitals and health systems still have that advantage of having worked with you know, universities and academic institutions to create pathways. I, I do see it as an opportunity to do even more though. Uh, we've got to move that needle even further to truly advance the workforce that we need today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And Suresh, you have 18,000 employees at UCSF Health. What do you see as the, the biggest advantage? Then I'm going to stay with you because I also want to hear what you find to be the biggest disadvantage right now when it comes to, to workforce and being a competitive employer? 
It's awesome. I get to be fourth, so uh, I'm sure <laughs> well, I have. You'll be unique. first I, for the next one, yeah. No, no, no. I, I would say obviously we have great parking. Um, you know that is uh, clearly um, an advantage. No, I think other than what's been said, um, I think that uh, what we saw in the gig economy, especially as it pertains to healthcare, was there was a set of healthcare workers that actually had enough means that they could they could travel, like that self-selected for a certain population. I think that. We may not be successful with that population all the time, but the other thing I would say is uh, there are so many communities, so many p people in our communities that are not able to get the kind of employment they want. And uh, so many people of color, so many of uh, people from uh, challenged socioeconomic backgrounds. And uh, I, I think we have a tremendous advantage to actually care about our community and bring those people into the healthcare workforce instead of other service industries because we have great benefits, we have great training and development, and they can uh, help uh, other members of their uh, community. And I think that when we think about our workforce, um, I, I think that uh, with any economic moment, uh, there's going to be a gig economy that, you know, we've, we've seen agency a lot in different periods in the industry. I wouldn't be distracted by that. I would say that that's a bit of a red herring. I, I think the real question is how much are we really appealing as a employer of choice to our own community? And what we want is uh, people in the Bay Area that want to make a difference in the lives of other people in the Bay Area. And what can we do to support them and, and, and make them feel successful? And I feel like a lot of people are being left behind in, in this uh, economy, and I think that health systems have an opportunity uh, to help to to, engage, uh, to uh, empower those people. I'll stay with you, so you're not the lagger for this next question. But what's working against you? What What are your biggest disadvantages right now? Um, I think our biggest disadvantage is that what got us here won't get us there. I mean, I think that you know each one of us has a certain rhythm of how we staff our organization. I uh, recently left the University of Iowa and uh, accepted the position at UCSF. The University of Iowa was interesting was the natural rhythm was it was one of the largest employer of new nursing graduates um, in the region. And so thousands of new nursing graduates would want to start their career at the university before they end up in Chicago. And so, you know, the, or Minneapolis, and UCSF is very different. UCSF uh, um, has a tremendous uh, draw for uh, experienced nurses. Um, experienced nurses that no longer have school-aged children because who wants to do the commute? And so we appeal with the benefits and some of these things. And I think that as we think about our disadvantages, I think our disadvantages were heavily entrenched in appealing to the workforce that we have today instead of the workforce that we'll need tomorrow. And I, I think that the workforce of tomorrow is looking for greater opportunities for training and education. I think that they are looking for greater recognition for what they do, uh, and that recognition isn't just monetarily. Um, and I think that uh, building programs and systems to uh, overcome this will be really critical. Let me give your panelists a chance to react to that. Organizationally, we're not thinking two steps ahead about what the workforce of the future will expect, want, value. Would you agree? Anything you would add to that, Dr. Kaplan? Well, I think that, you know, the pandemic has been a, a terrible tragedy for so many, but there, we were talking about this earlier, there have been some silver linings. One of those is, is recognizing that even in healthcare, remote work uh, can, 
can make a difference. Remote work can enable someone with a young family or uh, transportation issues to actually become part of the workforce. I think one of the challenges we have, frankly, is other industries. In the Pacific Northwest, where, where I live, we're dealing, we're competing with Amazon, Microsoft, Google, I know it's true in the Bay Area as well, for entry-level team members. And so um, I think we need to think about these things um, uh, very holistically. We need to think about the generational differences. Uh, and I think we need to listen to what our team members and potential team members are telling us. Uh, because um, like uh, Suresh said, you know, what's got us here will not get us where we need to be. And we need to think differently. We need to be looking at innovative care models uh, as well as innovative uh, employment models as well. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with what both the panelists said. As we talk to folks that are leaving our workforce, sometimes to leave to our competitors, many times to leave altogether or to go to a different industry, it's not just wage. Wage is one of the three, but another really important one is work-life balance. And it's when you start to dig into what work-life balance is, you realize it means something very different to everybody that you're asking. Um, for some of our folks, that work-life balance is exactly what was just described. It's that idea of, wow, I, I have a skill set that could be used in a remote capacity for you or for someone else, and, and that just makes my life better because now my child care is not a problem. Now my you know, home life is that much better. We also realize that the work-life balance often means that work itself is just so exhausting that they can't even get back home and, and sort of be in a good state. And so, so much of work-life balance actually work is off balance in and of itself. And so what are we doing in the job to make that 12-hour, 8-hour shift more sustainable uh, for the individual folks so that they're truly working at the top of what they can do and giving them all the support that they need? Again, something that maybe in the time of the pandemic went by the wayside because we were all just so busy meeting a surge. Um, and, and I would say, you know, we, I, I would agree with what folks are saying just in terms of the uh, need to expand the workforce uh, and the need to sort of grow and, and create those opportunities that people will find really fulfilling. Um, our system just created a partnership in Brevard County, Florida, where we're working with the school district to, for the kids that have decided not to go immediately to college, we're giving them positions at the hospital, relatively low level, but trying to open up their eyes to the idea that healthcare is a path. The school district, uh, the county's actually gonna pay half their salary for the first year. Our goal is to bring those folks into the hospital setting, make them realize that there's a path there, potentially even enroll them in our nursing school or enroll them in, in another pathway within healthcare, uh, recognizing that you know that is not a short-term solution, that is very much a long-term play, but we've gotta be developing both the short-term, what happens next week, as well as the medium and long-term solutions in order to fill what's gonna be a, a pressing need on for a while. Jeffrey, anything yeah. you would add? Otherwise, I'm going to follow up with you on another thought. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is I think um, we've got to be really intentional. So, you know, particularly to Dr. Kaplan's point, we've got to be intentional about culture. Uh, you know, healthcare historically is the type of industry that responds after we go through something. So we went through the pandemic. Now all the talk is about burnout. Uh, you know, we went through, you know, the unfortunate tragic death and, and really murder of George Floyd, and we saw more and more discussion around diversity, equity, inclusion. Those di that dialogue is important, but it has to be intentional, and it has to be embedded and threaded into every aspect of the organization. And the final point I would make is that when we talk about learning and development in healthcare, we've got to really move forward. Uh, you know, we have great organizations that do incredible work, but, but we still have you know, many human resource departments that still function on a degree-only model uh, of employee reimbursement. 
you know, degrees are important, absolutely, but so are certificates. Um, and so are other upskilling, reskilling solutions that can truly move a person through their career. So we've got to be more intentional. Times are different, and people expect different responses from healthcare. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay with you, Jeffrey, because I think one point when you mentioned the dialogue, I mean, at Becker's, we cover whether it's an increase of minimum wage, bonuses, um, hiring, sign-on salaries. Just this past year, just some really staggering figures, but at the same time, pre-pandemic, a survey found across 26 industries, more than 9 out of 10 were willing to trade a percentage of their lifetime earnings for greater meaning at work. Um, how would you describe the power of pay as you see it? And what else, in addition to work-life balance, which was already mentioned, what else trumps money? Yeah, so, you know, from my vantage point, when we look at what, you know, money, money clearly, you know, is important, and it's certainly what makes the world go round in some ways, unfortunately. But, but when we look at, in a healthcare job, uh, first of all, it's mission. Uh, for some people, the opportunity to serve and impact the lives, whether clinical or non-clinical, is still there. Uh, but it's probably a little bit less than, than it may have been in other generations. Um, so, you know, I would definitely add that there's an element that has to be considered around education uh, and really personal and professional development. I, I believe strongly in, in that the culture has to allow an individual to feel as if they're, they're being cared for and they're being listened to and valued. Uh, statistic after statistic, and I know Beckers has even covered this before, has said that people leave a job because of their manager. So instead of why that manager is still there, and then oftentimes I will tell you, unfortunately in healthcare, they're there, still there for far too long, they're there and more people leave. And human resources, for some reason, uh, continues to do their thing. And they are still there and still there and still there today. And so I think we have to also uh, really introduce as part of this cultural transformation, a real commitment to accountability. And Dr. Kaplan hit a, hit a point that I, I can't highlight enough as a millennial. I don't like the fact that we still talk about uh, these generational differences as if they're a negative. We need to move forward in healthcare and talk about them as a positive because this is the future. And whether I'm a Z or a Y or a millennial or whatever I am, I'm here to serve, treat me as I am, and find a way to allow me to be successful. As a boomer, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, you know, it is what it is. And people, you know, people want to come to work every day knowing that they can make a difference. Whether that's alignment with mission or vision or their own values or sense of purpose. Uh, and I agree, you know, there are things besides money. But you've got to make, your wage and benefits need to be at least uh, a ticket to open the door. They've got to be, they've got to be competitive doesn't mean we compete with every traveler's agency of which there's been an explosion uh, in the last couple of years, as you know. And I just want, want to emphasize the importance that people come to work every day with the, and, and are given the tools that they need to do their job. Um, I don't know how many times uh, we hear uh, surveys that say people are burnt out or dissatisfied, and the number one thing is they don't have what they need to do their job. And, and finally, I want to mention respect. Um, those of us who've been in healthcare for a long time, one of, I'm so proud of our profession and our industry, but um, we've got a hierarchy. We've got a lot of disrespect that occurs, and it's subtle. And what we've learned is that if you really uh, tackle that, you can make a difference. And every frontline team member uh, knows that. 
and, and those are in an organization where they're valued, as has been said, and they're respected for what they bring every single day to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, and Dr. Kaplan, you've been a, a pioneer and a big leader about embracing the frontline workers and how they see the weak spots in the system firsthand, incorporating their observations and input into process improvement efforts. Um, let me check in with some of your colleagues. I want to hear about, you know, we're talking about the workforce as one big group, but you've got the specialized workers, the clinicians, who it's going to be difficult for them to go elsewhere in terms of retail or hospitality. And then you have a whole group where their skills are a lot more translatable. Um, and, you know, should a recession occur, you might see some, some difference in the, in the workforce there. Um, I want to talk about making sure those employees feel valued too and feel like they're connected and part of something bigger than themselves, like you've been saying. Uh, Suresh, do you have any thoughts on this and how as, you know, you're only eight weeks in at UCSF, but how you aim to ensure their voices are heard? Yeah, UCSF, I've got nothing to do. It's easy. Um, no, it's, it's, it's remarkably hard. And I think that, I think at the core of it is um, whether you're a millennial or you're a boomer, I actually think the millennials have a, a much better eye on this when they walk in the door, is that you're struck by um, how you know, inefficient and wasteful and annoying healthcare delivery is. I mean, and it still is, and it was 25 years ago when I started, and it's marginally better now, and I went to a session this morning on AI, and it's gonna solve the problem. Um, and, you know, it's like the, the core of it is a lot of what Dr. Kaplan's worked on and a lot of the organizations up here work on is that at some level we've talked about this as performance improvement. But to me, uh, what I always tell my team, uh, uh, when, when, when people ask for accountability, um, I always say that's dangerous. You know, have we made it easy to do the right thing? Have we made it easy to get your job done? Have we made it easy uh, to improve that manager that's not doing a great job? Have we, have we, have we made uh, doing work the right way easier? And I think that a lot of spots of our organization have, and a lot of different organizations have this, but what does it take to get to a tipping point on that issue? That if you come to work in the healthcare industry and it's just more inefficient, more annoying, when you come in and you think you could get your job done in five hours, but it takes seven, or you're waiting on others, and that's why you have to, to, to stay late today. That inefficiency is, is stifling, and I think that given the regulatory demands on the industry, I think that given the, the way that we get reimbursed, you know, it's not an easy life, uh, and, and, and healthcare organizations don't have um, uh, it you know, easy, but I will say that um, I think this is a workplace retention issue. And uh, I think a lot of the satisfaction of remote work is not having to see it day to day, honestly. Um, and I think that a lot of those remote workers will actually feel disconnected. Initially, the disconnected feeling is great. It's like, I don't have to deal with it. Uh, I'll be an individual contributor, but I still think that's not the ultimate solution. The ultimate solution is how do you make the work easier to do? And if we can't become better operators, I don't think our employees will be happy. You know, and I think there's a, a core bit of uh, leadership uh, metal that's going to be necessary to, to make our organization more efficient for our employees. I think what you describe is it, I, I've seen so much use of burnout, as I'm sure you have, but I also have seen more and more use of the term moral injury, which describes people feeling like they are fighting an upstream battle, they don't have control. To, are you about to say something, Dr. Kaplan? 
No, I was just, okay. I'm listening. I think okay. you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. The loss of control is a major issue for team members in healthcare today. But, but I feel like so many of these conversations still get lumped into burnout. And, and I think it's a disservice because then we're not really empowering people to make changes to address the moral injury that Suresh just, just described, right? Is, is that a fair assessment of things, Dr. Kaplan? Or, or Jeffrey, I would love your thoughts on this too, and Dr. Ahead, Shetty. Yeah, I mean, really, I frame it all under trauma. I mean, if we create a trauma-informed healthcare system, we're dealing with the mind, body, spirit of all of our colleagues. And so, you know, whether it's burnout, whether it's resiliency, whether it's moral injury, it's all trauma. And when we think of, you know, I mean, we have, you know, some esteemed not only leaders, but also clinicians that can speak to the trauma impact. Uh, you know, we've got to look at all of those elements as trauma because they have, we have to be looking at coaching. We've got to look at mentorship as, you know, as, as, as uh, Suresh was speaking, I was thinking of mentorship. I mean, if you look at, if you look at uh, millennials and beyond, in many ways, uh, when I was a college student, Chris Gardner, Pursuit of Happiness, came to our college campus, and he left that campus and said to our president of the college, if you don't find a mentor for every single one of the students on this campus, you have failed as a president. And I have that same, uh, I, have, I take that same position to healthcare leaders. If you are not committed to mentorship, of each and every one of the members of the team, making sure they have a mentor, whether that's their boss, uh, I would encourage probably even somebody else, that you, you really have to do better. Um, and I wanna highlight that because mentorship is about care, concern, and it's really about uplifting someone and giving them hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. You know, I think, I, I think that's exactly right. And um, as, as has already been said, we are asking our team members to work in environments that are filled with waste filled with things that add no value. We find it very difficult to take things off their plate and we just keep putting more and more on the plate. Um, I think we need to think about different ways of leading. Less boss, more coach. Yeah. Uh, think about designing a job where everybody has agency and that frankly the people closest to the work are the ones that understand it the best. They understand it far better than any of us do uh, and and so we need to listen, and we need to have very deliberate, planful ways where that agency is translated into action, and people feel that renewed sense of, of control. And the result is a better environment, less waste-filled, more appropriate care. I think it's better for patients, for, for the community, and clearly for the health of the people within the organization, because we are people taking care of people. And unless we attend to the health of our workforce, uh, we're not going to be able to achieve our vision. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think a part of it, and I agree with everything that's been said, it's how do we disseminate this sense of leadership throughout the organization, right, down to the, to the direct manager, because we see the same thing in terms of why people leave. And I think what happens a lot in the organizations is we may have great or think we have great ideas centrally, but, but it can't get out there if you don't have a leader at the front lines who's able to, dry, to, to work with the team, uh, to hear the team, to listen to the team, to work with them. I think you can see some really high-performing environments where everyone on the team knows that our goal today is we're gonna turn this OR as fast as we can, and everybody's a respected member of that team, EVS worker, scrub tech, OR, all of them equal respect because you're all on the same team. I think when hierarchy gets in the way and it's a, you didn't do this, this, your metrics off, this is off, we haven't taught our folks to be that coach. And I think it's a really good point. I think 
our, a lot of our investment recently has been in that manager director level uh, in realizing that a lot of folks get promoted for the right reasons, but then we don't give them any of the tools to actually lead, right? We put them in the job, we say you're responsible for this metric, that spreadsheet, this reporting, but we haven't actually taught them how to lead or make them feel like retaining your team and having a happy team is a part of their job, when in fact, right now it's probably the most crucial part of their job. Um, and it, it, as I've been out to the hospitals and sitting with nurse managers and saying like, what are you, what can we do to make, give you that time to invest in your team? Because we realize when you start breaking down their day, there is no time. It sounds great to say you're gonna invest in your team, but they're running around often covering a clinical shift because they were a little bit short. They don't have that dedicated time to say, I'm gonna meet with every member of my team. What are they gonna do to develop? What are they gonna do differently? What concerns do they have that will keep, if I hear it now, I can fix it before it bubbles up as a resignation, right? And they don't have that time yet. And so we've been spending a lot of time thinking about that nurse manager, nurse director role saying, it is a promotion, more than just a title, more than just a paycheck, but we have to make them leaders so that any future messages really get disseminated and, and they can take it and really run with it. So let's do this. Let's make sure the attendees and the people with us in the room today can leave the room feeling some call to action. So whether that's something, a conversation that needs to be had that you would suggest or advise, a decision they should think twice about making when it comes to being a competitive workforce and workforce development investment, I would love to make sure that we have some key takeaways for things they can bring home to their organizations uh, at the conclusion of this panel. Suresh, is there anything you would offer up first? Let's see. We've We've beaten one of these to glue at this point, so uh, the operational improvement piece I think is important. But to kind of shift gears, I mean, I, I would just say I think we need to think deeply about uh, bringing new people into the workforce. Um, I, I definitely think that we need to broaden uh, the scope of uh, who we recruit and create systems to retain them. Uh, I think in, in, in the Bay Area, we struggle uh, to recruit the talent necessary to our organization to meet our community where they need to be met. And I think that a great part of uh, our inability to have a stable workforce is the further and further you get away from uh, looking and sounding and listening like the people you serve, the harder and harder it is to do your job. Mm -hmm. And so um, if there is one thing that we, we talk about is that at UCSF we are obsessive about clinical excellence, and there's no clinical excellence if, if you have disparities in outcomes between your various different patient populations. And we think that having a very diverse team that represents our community is probably the single biggest thing we can do to um, not only uh, improve our labor situation, but also improve the morale of all of the colleagues that already work for UCSF. And so I would say that's probably the point I'd make. Dr. Shetty, what would you add? I think, uh, well, I agree with that. I mean, I think the the most important thing for us right now is, is we recognize that the future of leadership in healthcare is gonna drive this solution, right? And we're not gonna change the diversity of our leadership unless we fix the problem at the front lines. Uh, and at right now, our workforce doesn't look like our patient population. Our leadership certainly doesn't either. And so that has, has been a huge concern for us and a focus as we sort of empower the teams to say, what do we need to do better by our patients? What environments can we create for our patients that will make it a more appealing thing? Because frankly, I think the pandemic underscored a whole other issue, a whole other panel discussion on disparities in healthcare and the ability of our communities to access care and, and 
whether they had access, whether they had trust, we failed on so many different measures uh, during the pandemic and we can do better. And, and that as a system for Stewart has been a huge focus. How do we build that primary care base? How do we build the, that trust in the community? To do that well, we need our workforce to look more like the communities that we serve. So I, I really agree with that um, as being a, a key focus, uh, just as we double down, uh, the other part is just really doubling down on culture and reminding everybody why they come to work making sure it's a message that every one of your employees can articulate because I think that's what's going to pull them together and, and keep them from going across the street for 15 cents more an hour because that's a, a huge failure, right? Everything you've invested in that person is gone the minute they walk out the door. And so what are the other pieces of the stickiness that are going to keep them with you as part of the team? And Jeffrey, you've shared so much already too about finding mentorship, not underestimating the importance of education. Is there any other action item you would empower our attendees with as we wrap up today? Yeah, you know, I would say if you if you haven't yet, I would implement uh, a corporate social responsibility program that truly embeds diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, as well as supplier diversity. Uh, because when you look at, to, to Suresh's point about, um, you know, needing to bring the future workforce, those are the types of things, if they're done intentionally, you can have a ripple effect within the region. Uh, hospitals and health systems have been the anchor partners within their communities, uh, but we've got to demonstrate that, that next step of truly being an anchor partner. Uh, and, and when you think of, you know, the example of, of you know, of uh, Dr. Shetty's example with Stewart, you know, every health system should be doing pathway programs in the schools. Uh, because the more you do in a diverse school, you're going to, you know what, whether it's a kindergarten and you have the opportunity, um, in my community hospital days, we took our surgeons to the, to the elementary schools uh, because we knew the impact would, would be there. And guess what? Some of them are actually in medical school as we speak. And so, you know, we've got to be intentional about those types of things. And the other thing I would say is um, I would really take a hard look at, at what, what you're doing in the healthcare system today as it relates to your employees from an education standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, move beyond just degrees. Uh, really think about how certificates and other training programs could be the, the, the opportunity that moves them for, forward. Um, and then I said, I said mentorship, I have to end on mentorship. We've got to really embed mentorship into every aspect. You have future CEOs in your own healthcare system. Help them. Help them be that next CEO. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jeffrey. And Dr. Kathleen, any closing thoughts? And hopefully we'll get to one or two questions from our att attendees. Sure. Well, I think it, it starts with being clear. I think we need to be clear that the workforce is our most pressing problem. Uh, because, you know, despite our aspirations to do great things for patients, if we don't have an engaged, passionate workforce, uh, that it won't happen. And so we have to be very declarative. Uh, we need to get alignment and have everybody uh, working towards that. Uh, objective. I think I agree with what's been said about moving upstream uh, in the schools. Um, we also need to look at partnering in innovative ways. Uh, we have in our community some very innovative uh, training programs that are underway um, supported by charitable foundations to train entry-level workers. We're partnering with them so because that's going to be the workforce and they will have certificates uh, from that from those programs. Once you hire someone uh, and using, uh, you know, looking to have a workforce that, that mirrors the community, critically important, you want to keep them. Retention, it is so much easier uh, to retain a team member than to go out and recruit a new team member. And so onboarding, mentorship, right from the get-go in terms of have a partner, a buddy, a mentor for every new team member 
critically important. And one of the things I'm very proud of that we've put together are belonging groups for team members with particular special interests. So whether it's the LGBTQ belonging group or the Black Lives Matter belonging group, whatever the belonging group is, it's generated by frontline team members where they feel they can influence and share with people like them uh, the challenges and the opportunities that they find when they come to work every day. We have about two minutes left. Is there a question or possibly two we could get from the audience? Yes, we'll restate it so everyone can hear too. So we talked about a lot today. This question is, if you had to name the number one priority for a system leader to both engage the workforce and also expand access to underserved communities, what would that number one priority be? Just so we're very abundantly clear. What would, what would you say? Anything, anything that you could clearly delineate as terms of being more pressing than the other? You know, I think you want to be clear about what, what it is you're trying to accomplish, and we've talked a lot about that today. But talking about it is different than execution. You need a way forward. People won't be surprised to hear me say this, but 